All right. Welcome to Why Sew, the podcast where some of your favorite sewing personalities and rising stars share what motivates them to create using needle and thread. I'm your host, Jason Prater, and with me today is Debbie Hodge, the founder and owner of Stitched Stories, a fantastic online embroidery shop. I'm really excited to speak with her today and find out why she sews. So welcome to Why Sew, Debbie. How are you? Thanks, Jason. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So Stitched Stories is an online hand embroidery shop, correct? Yep. It's embroidery kits in the hoop. All right. So I got to ask, because I, I read a little bit about you and, and I normally like to get people to introduce themselves and, you know, but ultimately they end up giving me sort of the, the cliff notes version of who they are right out of the gate. And instead, I'm just going to ask you some questions to get there. But I know you seems like you've done a whole lot of different crafting things in your past, right? Yeah, I'm a serial. I get passionate about something and, and deep dive into it. So, you know, so, counted cross-stitch in my early 20s, programming in my later 20s, fiction writing for many years, scrapbooking and photography, and then uh, online business. And then during COVID, I came back to stitching. So what what brought you back to that? I mean, I know you you have two other online businesses, a scrapbooking related yes, one and a, an online teaching as well. Yeah. But how did you get back to hand embroidery or stitching? Well, the weekend of March 14th, 2020, I was supposed to go on a cruise with my sons and my husband and the, my son's girlfriends. And instead, we realized we were going to be hanging out here in New Hampshire. And so I like ordered... I got some new board games and some kites and some crafty things. And I had really been wanting to embroider, but I'd been so busy. Get a Scrapped is now closed, the scrapbooking business, but Teach mm. What You Do had kept me quite busy. And all of a sudden, I had this time. And so I ordered some embroidery kits as a part of this. And I didn't really, I embroidered several of them, but they weren't the experience that I wanted. I was looking for something that was not really difficult, not Royal Academy of Embroidery kind of work. I didn't want it to be difficult. I want it to be sort of like a sampler, but I didn't want it to be done in an hour or two. And I wanted it to have multiple stitches in it. So I wanted it to be something not hard, but that would take a while to do. So because of my experience with scrapbooking and digital scrapbooking, I am handy with digital layout and design. Mm. So I just started working on some things. And I also didn't want it to be like a coloring page where you're just outlining a shape. So I wanted mm. fun fills that used like a dozen different stitches. So I started doing this just on my own. And Teach What You Do was running crazy good right then because it was the beginning of COVID. Everybody wanted to get online. So I had extra money. I had some extra time. Things were just rolling along. And my sons didn't have any, my son who was in college at that time, he's a physics major. He didn't have an internship. My husband worked at the business school. He's a econ professor, but he was running a, an area and he, he had students who didn't have internships. So he was like, why don't you take Isaac? And then my Isaac's my son. And why don't you, you know, Hannah, we'd really like to try something creative. She lost her internship why don't you just try and do something over the summer? And I had sort of the extra funds and I also pretty adept at e-commerce and online business. And so to me, it was also sort of a puzzle, a challenge. Can we do it? So we spent the summer sort of figuring out what our niche would be, who we would serve and just 
getting the the Shopify because I'd never sold a physical product before. I'd only sold digital products. And I remember, and so Amy Kingsford has worked with me. She's a teammate who's worked with me on all my businesses. And she was like, oh, you should roll out one a month. And I was like, no, I'm just going to do these four. (laughs) And now we'll be three years in June. We've got like 48 designs. So that's how it happened. It was a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. That's so interesting. I know a lot of folks did just sort of find a way to take advantage of the online marketplace during COVID, but uh, what a cool way to get going in it. So let me take you further back than that, though. I mean, how did you get into crafting in general to begin with and specifically sewing? I mean, what was your history there? Did you have a teacher or somebody in your your family or your life that uh, influenced you in that way? I grew up on a dairy farm in upstate New York where everybody sews and everybody joins 4-H and crafting and sewing is just a a part of life. My mom was always very crafty. In fact, she had a wholesale craft business for a long, long time, like 30 years, maybe. Oh, wow. Just arguing about it. She was like, yeah, I, I retired at 68. I was like, no, no, no. You were going to craft shows at 75, wholesale craft shows, big ones. So I started sewing doll clothes, I believe crocheting them, knitting them, sewing them, then moved into kind of cross-stitch for a long time. I really like that. That's so cool. Uh, your story is obviously similar to many, but uh, so did you ever have any formal training in any of those disciplines in scrapbooking or in, in cross-stitch or sewing? No, I love self-teaching myself things, but I mean, right. I mean, I'm sure I had mentors around me, my mom, my grandma, the 4-H leaders, home ec teachers, right? I mean, sewing was something you learned how to do. I'm 62 years old. You learned how to do this in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. At least in upstate New York, you did. I didn't, the community I grew up in, everybody sewed. Did you enjoy it at that time? Or was it something you just did because everybody did? I love to create. I like to make things. So, and I've always liked to sort of make my own things. Like I like to learn from a pattern and rules and then expand on it. And I sewed throughout when my kids were young, I sewed a lot. And my sons who are 23 and 27, they know how to sew. They know how to operate a sewing machine. That's fantastic. Because we would sew their costumes together. So to me, it was just always, it was a skill that you you had to take care of things. Neat. So at what point in that journey did you gravitate or start to learn hand embroidery? I mean, there's so many specific techniques and stitches and things in hand embroidery. I mean, that, that's a tough thing to just pick up and do without without someone's help, right? Yeah, I don't know. I feel, <laughs> well, <laughs> so I think, so I think what happened was I probably only ever knew how to cross-stitch, but I had this feeling in, when I was starting in COVID, I had this sense, I kept saying, why can't I find a kit like that sampler I made as a child? And I thought that that sampler I made as a child used all kinds of stitches, lazy daisy, this and that. I thought it used those. I And then, I went back home and I saw it on my mom's wall and it was just crusted. So, I mean, I think if you sew, you, I don't know. I don't know how I learned, but I mean, I, this, my kids don't use really difficult stitches. There's French knot, lazy daisy, you know, straight back split. We're not doing some kind of complicated herringbone or we're, the stitches in my kits are not super complicated. Okay. Sounds complicated to me when you throw out all of those stitch names, but I'll take your word for it. That yeah, I mean, one of the biggest challenges for me in starting the business was I needed diagrams and I couldn't find anybody to license the diagrams for. 
So then I um, I found an illustrator and I, I wasn't as good with Procreate then. I've gotten better with Procreate. I probably, I think I could do it now. I'm good with Photoshop, but not so good with that. And so I found an illustrator and I worked with her to create our 12 stitches that are in every stitching guide because that felt like an essential piece to every kit to me. Yeah. Have good illustrations. So along those lines then, how many, like with your customers, are you seeing those mostly as beginner people or are they kind of all over the board or is it, do they come to you because your kits and things are are easy for them to get started and to begin on this sewing journey or do, are there experienced people that come because they just like the designs? Lots of beginners, but then also lots of people who are quilters or counted cross stitchers. And with my designs, they're printed in color on the fabric. So you don't have to count anything you, you don't have to think real hard. So I think people find it, even if they do more complicated stitching, it's sort of a palate cleanser, right? Mm. They can just, here's something that I can take along on the, when I go to my in-laws and have to sit around all Sunday watching football and I don't love football. You can just take it and you can chit chat with people, but you can feel like you're busy with it. A lot of people really enjoy what, I, a lot of people want what I wanted. Those are my customers, people who who want a project that, like I play a lot with different fills. So a lot of beginners and a lot of people who already stitch, but they see this as a really relaxing way, something you can take along and you can have in the car to do while you're waiting for an appointment or. Very cool. So the kits that you are primarily selling, are those uh, pre-printed fabrics that already have designs on them and you're sort of following the lines or so right. Tell, us, tell our audience. Right. So, so I, I design it and I design it in color. And then I, I use Spoonflower. It's down in North Carolina to print the fabric. And I cut it into a 10 and a half inch square. So you get a 10 and a half inch cotton square with an eight inch design in the center. It's printed in color in the different colors. And so if you, and, and that's on fabric, we also do offer many of our designs printed to the sulky, sticky backed wash away fabric. Okay. Because, stick and stitch. Okay. Yeah. So if you wanted to use my my printed color fabric, you'd really want to stick sort of to the colors if you're not a precise stitcher, because you might just see a little bit of the, the line through it. But people who want to change the colors and who want to put it on, uh, who don't want just a, a hoop to display, who want to maybe put it on a towel or mm. a quilt or something else, then they'll use the um, the, the sulky, the sticky oh, back okay. stick I like that. So people have options there. Yeah. But it's so funny. There's always this debate, no matter what kind of design we're talking about, whether it's a quilt design, a, a machine embroidery design, a hand embroidery design, a cross-stitch design. There's always that debate. My customers always want it exactly the way you did it, you know, and they're going to create it. They want to know exactly what color to use to the shade. And they're going to do, you know, exactly the way you did it. And then there's the other camp that's like, yeah, no, I like to put my own spin on it. I'm going right. to do it this way. And so that's cool. Yeah. So I get so many beautiful photos from my customers who show me how they'll fill in an area with bulky French knots and it'll look so cool. Or they'll use some sort of a glittery, different kind of floss that, that gives it a different effect. Sometimes people, I have a Christmas one called Mistletoe Farm. And people want to change the name of the farm. So they prefer the stick and stitch, right? So that they can just change that. That's super or they've got cool. a dog that's a different color or they want the dog to be a cat. Or... Now your designs, is is this your own artwork? Or you are you also an artist that, um, that, that draws? Or do you commission that uh, to others? Or how does that work? So 
a lot of the artwork is mine. And then I also, a lot of times will purchase a uh, commercial license to pieces. So like one of my first designs, which is very popular, is called To the Woods. And I purchased commercial art that had, you know, a, a teardrop camper, a bear, some trees. Then I arrange that in a, in a circle and I add fills and stitches and designs and an embellishment to it. But I, I bought a commercial license to that. Nice. So some of them have that, which is why I do not sell. Well, that's one of the reasons I do not sell PDF patterns, digital mm. patterns, because I don't have the rights to distribute right. a digital pattern. People often don't understand. So a mix of things. I've gotten better with Procreate and I've, I've, I've got my newer designs. I've been able to, to draw myself. Very cool. Are you working on anything in particular right now? Something new, different, exciting that you talk about or? Oh yeah, I'm working on some uh, birds and birdhouse and some trees. <clears throat> I love the birds. Very yeah, people like the natural stuff, which is not my stronger point. I like sort of more, like I have one called patchwork that's just different designs or like Jake, I like things that are more sort of repeating designs and sort okay. of geometric, but people love that. Like I just did one called, I just did one of um, mushrooms and I really struggled because I don't want to have people have to use the satin stitch and the, the thread painting, which is beautiful. And a lot of people like to do that, but my people don't want to do that complicated thread mm. painting. So I was struggling with how do I get that shadowing on the mushroom without it being satin stitch or how can I do that in a new way? And I decided to use some, uh, the black work is a, an, an embroidery uh, technique that goes back to, I think, like the 1700s. And it was done in one color. And it, it's these geometric patterns that are progressively more filled. So okay. like there might be a geometric, you know, like there'd be, you know, hexagons and then hexagons with lines through them and hexagons with lines through them and connecting them. So it, you get shadowing as the geometrics get more complicated. So I looked toward that and I was able to use black work kind of patterns along with color to do oh, that. Cool. So it's a fill. It's just, a, and it's really just a backstitching fill. Yeah. So it's fun for people. It's a fun new challenge as a way to use simple stitches to get a cool effect. Oh, neat. I never had anyone fully explain that black work technique to me. I always just thought of it like red work. It's yeah. stitching with black thread. <laughs> Right. But it's really, there's geometric patterns that are progressively more filled, Very cool. more complex. If you take a look in, um, you know, any, in any book about it, it's kind of interesting to see. They're fun. How much sewing do you find yourself doing, you know, now that you, this is your business and you, you're running a business, you're marketing online, you know, all of the stuff that goes into that. How much sewing do you do and what do you like to sew primarily? So I do a lot of embroidery because I stitch every design at least three times. Because I, when it first comes out of the gate, you know, I've, I've got a sketch like the birds that I'm working on and I start stitching it and I could immediately see that I'd done some, that I wasn't going to get the right balance because the color is really a big deal and it takes me a while to figure out. I don't want the colors to be too complicated and I want a nice visual flow and I want balance. So it takes me a first stitch through just to figure out what are the colors going to be so that it does feel like it's got unity and it's got balance. I mean, you don't want it to be a chaotic mess, which often like first pass through is I'm going to use all these colors and it's just a little bit too much. It just takes me a while to stitch through. So yeah. I'm stitching every one several times and wow. uh, always working on a new design. It's a lot. It is. But, you know, so for me, I also love puzzles. 
I like doing puzzles. So for me, this is a puzzle. Okay. Now in your sewing, when you're actually stitching, do you have certain tools, notions, products that, you know, just are your favorites, things that you just can't live without? And I know you mentioned our, our stick and stitch. It doesn't have to be sulky products. I, it, anything out there, what, what are some of the things that you just can't do without? Well, I mean, the thing about embroidery is you don't need much, which is what's so cool about it, right? You just, you, you yeah. need a hoop. And I'm not a real formal, precise stitcher. So I do not use, while I have a floor stand to put my hoop in for when I mm. record some videos, I just hold the hoop in my hand. Mm. But I love having a, a needle binder, you know, a magnetic needle nanny, right? That's like a piece of, I have several in my shop that come out of our kits. So it's a enamel piece that you put the that on the top of your hoop and the magnet on the back and it can hold your needle. And I also love having a little storage tin because I've usually got multiple projects going on at once. Which again, our kits come with a little five and a half inch by three and a half inch clear top storage tin. So nice. I like having a tin because so, I'm very messy. I do not put my floss on bobbins. I just am casual about things. Um, oh, and I like to have floss wax. Okay. Because that makes it easier. My eyes, I, I am 62. My eyes, it, it, this is a problem that I have my, my eyes aren't so great. So if I can have the floss wax, it'll stiffen it and it makes it easier for it to thread. Oh, okay. And I, oh, and, I, and an ot light, a little, uh, a little portable ot light that I can move around and just set next to the bed or next to nice. the sofa or wherever I'm working. Uh, you, you mentioned floss. Do you ever use um, product like our 12 weight cotton in place of floss where, you know, you can just have a single strand from a spool versus separating strands of floss? Is that, is that something I have you're not. with at all? Yeah. I didn't even know about it. So, ah, so it's, well, hey, yeah. 12 weight cotton on a spool. Oh, and I'll have we, to check it out. We call them 12 weight cotton petite. And, and the petites is really just about the yardage that's on there because it's only 50 yards. It's actually the same thread that um, we sold for top stitch quilting for years. Uh, mm -hmm. When you wanted sort of a bolder look in your quilting, you could top stitch with this thread by machine. But lots of quilt shops kept saying, geez, our customers are buying this and doing hand embroidery and other hand techniques. Mm. You really ought to think about putting it up on a smaller spool that makes more sense for, for someone doing handwork. And so we, we did that, uh, geez, now probably about 10 years ago. And it's just been slowly kind of catching on. And it started really in the quilt market with people who were doing hand embroidery on quilts, but now also in the cross-stitch world and other places. We don't so, have quite the color selection in that 12-weight cotton that you might find from some of the popular floss uh, manufacturers, but people do love the convenience of it. It's a really portable, nice item that's easy to store and keeps all of your color information there because the color numbers printed on the rim of the spool. So you always right. know who the manufacturer is and what's the color number and that kind of stuff. I mean, is it like one strand of floss or two it's, strands of floss? It's like two stranded floss. So oh, one strand is, is the equivalent favorite. of two strands of floss. So anywhere that you're typically using two strands of floss, you would use this product. Yeah. We'll to, we're going to send you some of that. Uh, the, yeah. I want to try. It's just a little dream. Uh, people ask me a lot about quilt squares. So I was thinking, could I design, you know, a, a half a yard of fabric with with squares on it that would have something printed, probably color and you would broider or you embroider around them somewhat. Okay. Like it would be printed. And in this side, it would probably be like stylized florals or geometrics. It wouldn't yeah. be a scene. But anyways, I was thinking about hmm. that's like well, 
that's a little bit in my future, but we'll get some of that on the way to you so you can play around with it and see if it's something that maybe we can see in your kids one day. Hey, look yeah. at that. I, yeah. I would have thought you knew about those, but I didn't, I'm, you know, I'm what? glad you didn't. And now you're, you've been introduced. I know. I'm always a little embarrassed to do like podcasts or something because I just came back to embroidery not even three years ago. Yeah. And I really don't know all the proper ways. Like sometimes I'll make a video and people will be like, that's the way you do that stitch. That's really not the right way. Uh, Scott, I mean, isn't that the that's the, the way it should work, right? I mean, go into everything with a clean slate, right? You just, hey, maybe that's how you discover a better way or a new way or something different than if you've always been taught and told this is what you got to do. Right. Then you kind of just gravitate to doing it that way when maybe there's something better out there. Yeah. I love that. I'm happy to learn about that. Yeah. So, you know, as you've progressed in, in your business and in your designing and things of that nature, is there anybody like in the industry that you sort of look to as inspiration or, or that's helped you in any certain way or that you just kind of say, gosh, these people have it, have, have it together and I really like what they're doing and, and try to follow them? Is, is there anybody out there like um, that for you? You know, there's there's some, uh, there's a few of people who I just really enjoy. I like Instagram and they show up in stories a lot. Uh, I love uh, Ann Oliver. I think hers, her business is called Lolly and Grace. And mm. she does gorgeous hand paint, thread painting kind of embroidery kits, very colorful. And she actually, I think she gave me a tip about where to buy my hoops maybe when I first started and posted on a forum somewhere, which was just generous of her. Very cool. I, you, you, you probably lost my video. Yeah, I was making sure you were there. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I'm still here. I, I don't know what happened. It just kind of blinked off for a second there. There's um. We'll edit that out. But anyway, you can keep going. There's um Max Pigeon. I think it's called Pigeon Coop Designs. He's on Instagram. He does counted cross stitches in Canada, and they're gorgeous designs of nature, mountains and birds and lake scenes. I mean, I don't even know him, but I follow him and I really like it. And there's another. Uh, there's a young woman down in D.C. She's Miri, and I think it's Capital Stitch Co. She does um, very small, mini kind of embroidery kits. Oh, so I don't cool. know. I just follow them. I don't have a lot of connections in the in the embroidery yeah. world. I mean, isn't the internet great? Yeah, <laughs> there's just so much out there, and so many creative people that share their stuff. And you know, some make it into a big business. Some make it. It's just sort of their hobby business. And I, I know that's not the case for you, but there are a lot of those folks out there that really. You know, which which is great because now we get to see their stuff, even though they're not trying to to make yeah. a living at it. Yeah. Uh, and I follow a lot of illustrators and I don't even know all their names. And, uh, you know, another thing that inspires me, there's somebody who on Instagram posts a gorgeous pictures of rooms and then people paint the room all week long. And there's like 50 different people who've painted the room. And that gives me a lot of inspiration for how people approach color and fill. So illustrators inspire me a lot. Wow. Very cool. Is there anything in sewing, not necessarily with hand embroidery, but maybe with hand embroidery, um, that you just haven't tried and have been kind of wanting to try? Maybe it's a new technique or maybe it's some completely different discipline, you know, quilting or I don't know, whatever. Um, that's kind of on your bucket list of things to do. Is there anything like that for you that you've been telling yourself, gosh, I need to try that one day? Uh, well, that quilting thing, because, you know, like right because I have a business, I've tried to keep things very much. I do eight inch in the hoop designs because that works very much for me to keep it affordable, but to keep 
really nice quality extras in the kits. Like I think our kits just are packed with quality extras. And if I all of a sudden branch off into square format and this and that makes it harder for me to, to do that. But I just really am playing with this idea of could I design a half yards worth of quilt squares? But in this situation, I've always just done on white backgrounds. I'd have to, I'd actually fill with color. So, and that it seems hard to me, but, um, but you know what? Every single design I do seems hard to me before I do it. So <laughs> like this birds thing is very hard for me. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that before the nature stuff, right? That <laughs> The nature stuff is hard for me, but my best sellers are my moths design the mushrooms is really coming out of the gate strong. People like nature and I'm really an indoor book reading kind of stitching person. Two things from your past that I, I just wanted to kind of dig into. One is uh, this teach what you do site. You know, obviously that just tells me and I'll, total transparency. I didn't go to the website. I don't know what, I don't even know the subject matter, what you're teaching there, but it tells me that you like to teach. How, how much, how important is that or how integrated is that into your current business? Um, what things are you ask. doing? <laughs> I don't want to teach anymore. <laughs> so I had Get It Scrapped was uh, like a dozen years and I had a membership and I came out with a new course every single month for many of those years. I had a lot of guests that I brought mm -hmm. in, but so, and it reached a point with that. I mean, I loved the business. And when I told Amy, my teammate, that I was quitting, she was just, I think she cried more than I did. And mm. I said, if I have, I just can't do another, I can't teach another scrapbooking class. I'll poke, poke a fork in my eye. I, and I still <laughs> love scrapbooking, but right, you, you can only do something for so long. Yeah. And then teach what you do. I loved that. And I just wound that down at the end of the year, 2022. And there I worked with mostly creatives and coaches on them building their own online teaching businesses. Okay. So, and I loved doing that. And uh, I taught, so I would teach them how, you know, how to build a mailing list, how to, how to develop course content and how to record course content, and then how to create a sales page, how to create an email series to sell your course. So it sounds so, like and you're I just a little bit burnt out on that aspect. It's a lot of, of teaching. So everybody always says to me, well, you need a YouTube channel and you should be teaching and you'll sell more if you would do that. And Amy's helping. We we do have a YouTube channel, but there's not much on it. And I just, it's not my, my pat. It takes me a lot of time to develop a design. Yeah. And that's where my passion is. And the business is a good size for me. So yeah, I probably won't be doing a lot of teaching. Okay. And there's lots of people who are doing it really well. So why would yeah. I need to duplicate what they're doing? Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I hear all sides of that. Right. And, you know, I, I do think there's a lot, there's so much content now available online that, um, and, and really good quality stuff. So that's a real good point that if that's not where your heart is and what you want to be doing, let somebody else do that. Yeah, for sure. So when you're not sewing, when you're not embroidering and running your business, what, what other things might we find Debbie into? Well, I love to listen to books on tape and I love novels. I love a good TV series that I can binge and I'm usually stitching or knitting while I'm listening to my book on tape or binging my TV series. And I have two sons in their 20s with wonderful women in their lives and they live quite near us. So spend a lot of time with my family just hanging out. We live on a river. So in the summer, we're in the river a lot. Fantastic. Not very exciting, but. <laughs> no, nah, that sounds about perfect to me, actually. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to ask you. What? So I, I saw somewhere, uh, maybe you even said it earlier, but that you were a fiction writer. Uh, and I recently interviewed uh, for the podcast, actually, a, a, a woman by the name of Barbara Emoti, who is in the sewing world, but also was a fiction writer. And her fiction was centered around sewing. So I'm just curious uh, how you went from sewing into fiction writing and back, or maybe you're still doing that. Tell, tell us a little bit about your, your writing. While I was getting my MBA, I discovered I really should have gotten an MFA, <laughs> but I got the MBA. And um, I embarked upon studying fiction for several years, you know, went to the writers, Conf- you know, went to like Bennington Writers Conference and studied. In fact, one of the great experiences of my life was I studied in a workshop with C. Michael Curtis, who's the fiction editor at the Atlantic Monthly. Oh, wow in his home for a couple of years. I learned a lot about writing. I wrote short fiction. I published in like little literary journals. And then when I had my kids, I really got into taking pictures of them. And I got into scrapbooking as like journaling was a big part of scrapbooking for me. And in fact, at Get It Scrapped, the courses that I taught were really very much around visual storytelling and the written storytelling and the journaling that would go with it. So I taught a lot about writing and journaling and just sto- so that people could tell stories that yeah. when someone looked at their scrapbook, they would want to read it and it would really tell them the essence of what was true and important. So, I'm and then I- th- I'm catching a theme here. Stitched stories. stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stories in your scrapbooking, stories in your stitching, stories in your writing. Right. And I'm obsessed with story. Like I can't be without a book on tape running. <laughs> I, it's my my friend. Yeah. So I love stories. I love fiction. I, I, yeah. So I'm not writing fiction, but I mean, I really, I, I'm not writing fiction now. But again, I'm serially do things. I mean, I'm hoping I said I'm 62. This is a great business for my 60s. My husband's five years older. He's about to retire. And this is just Stitch Stories is just much less stressful than my previous businesses have been. And um, I want to get it just to the right size where it's just right for my. So is this the final frontier for you is or is there something that you can think of next what, what do you what, what, what do you think i don't know who knows what the world makes right i mean the technologies the interests right now this is a good thing for me to there's a lot of people interested in embroidery right now and the way the world works it's so easy to get the supplies and yeah, what, what do you think is at the essence of that demand i, I mean i hear this sometimes i don't it's hard to see in the marketplace, you know, so many of the, uh, the, the the large big box stores, of course, are are publicly held, but they sell so many different things. It's hard to put your finger right on the hand working market itself and get a gauge on how much growth may or may not be happening. But I, I do hear enough that it sounds maybe like more and more younger people or people in their 30s and even their 40s because our primary demographic is is above that, right? And it always has been and probably always will be because, you know, we've always kind of said that people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, they just have other things going on. They're raising their children and they're focused on their careers or all, all of these other things that take their time. And it's kind of the outliers that will do that and something that they're passionate about at the same time, at least in in volume or in uh in an amount that matters. But yeah. what, what do you attribute what what might be a growth in, uh, you know, the well, hand? Well, I think there's, 
one thing is the world has been just so hard and confusing and we can't predict anything right now. So of course, then we turn to nostalgia, right? So then the cottage core movement, anything that just sort of goes back to the olden days, that makes us feel good. But then I also think there's that idea of um, sustainability, but also just getting closer to the, the simple way that things are done. I also think, so I think that maybe for younger people, their worlds have gotten a little more constrained than they were for you or I when we were younger. They're not going to take the kind of risks. They're not going to be out in different places. They're going to settle down in different ways. My, um, my youngest son, 23, who the phys- he just graduated with a physics degree. His last year in college, he got very into knitting, very into knitting. And then last summer, he called me and he said, you know, I'm here at the yarn store with you know, his brother and his brother's girlfriend. We're all, I'm going to teach them to knit. We're all going to knit the same cowl. Do you want to do it with us too? And so since then, we've all been knitting. And uh, I mean, we just, we all went to local yarn store day last weekend together. And, and, you know, he's the one who really loves it, but we're along for the ride with him. And, you know, it surprises me when my other son all of a sudden shows up with his knitting too. But I feel like people want to do things with their hands. And I just feel like there's not as, there's just not as much fun action. I don't think young people get to go out and do as much fun, wild stuff as we do and feel But I don't know. I don't know what the world is going to look like in two more years. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting take on it. I mean, I, I hear that a lot that, you know, people, this sense of creating the process of creating, of actually making something with your hands. I mean, what's in the news right now? AI, right? Everybody's in this uproar about AI. And I think there is a real sense. I just saw where I think it was... Um, a screenwriters guild or a screenwriters union or, or, or somebody was, was making big waves about AI because, you know, it is sort of taking away from human creativity. And, uh, yeah. and I think people are pretty passionate about protecting that and they ought to be. So, yeah, I guess I can, I can see where, you know, this, this whole or this feel of, of moving back to something more creative with your own hands and your own mind is, is pretty important. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know, but with AI, I kind of play with it. I mean, I use it in my business. I'll say, you know, what are five email subject lines I could use in January? Yeah, yeah. But then also, I have a design tree of life that I came out with in either January or February. And I wanted to do a tree of life, but I didn't want it to be class the, the same old, same old. So I used the tool Dali. And I don't remember what I searched for. I do have the images that came up, but I kept saying, you know, tree of life geometric. And then I think I moved to tree of life you know, circles, tree with birds. Tree. And my final design doesn't look like any of those, but it came out, somehow I came up with the idea of using circles for the leaves and that came out of using that AI tool. Oh, so yeah. it was a useful. springboard. Yeah, absolutely. I think it can it can help and certainly prod and, and help you down a path, you know, for sure. That's, that's, that's cool. Here you say that as a designer and as a writer. And, and look right. At how you might like I would it. never use something straight out of there, but I definitely think, I think it could, like uh, my husband just, he wrote a book and a couple months ago when they were thinking of the subtitle and I said, why don't you go ask chat GPT for 12 subtitles? I don't think yeah. he did it, but I think it would have been a good way to, you know, brainstorm subtitles. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's just a, it's a great brainstorming partner. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think it's creation. really helpful when you're just, you know, like for me, 
just coming up with ideas for blog posts and, and emails. I wouldn't have them write my email or my blog post, but I definitely would use it to just mine yeah. for, for ideas. Very cool. Topics. Very cool. Well, Debbie, it's been awesome talking to you. I, I appreciate your time and uh, sharing all about your business and, and your own passion and story. And so I want to make sure that I have um, your information correct so that uh, our listeners have a chance to learn even more about you and see all the fun stuff that you have. If they want to know more about you and your business, it's stitchedstories.com, correct? Yes. Awesome. And there they can find all sorts of fun printed patterns and kits and yeah. Maybe a little bit of sulky product. Maybe some more in the future if we can get you turned That's on right. to that thread. We're going to get right. some of that in your so, hands. Yeah. There's a whole <laughs> stick and stitch choice on the menu. Wow. There's also um, a free option. And any of those free patterns that are on there, you might people might like to print them too. Sulky oh. stick and stitch. People often don't know about it. I see them doing these. Like to me, putting something up to a window and tracing it just seems like way too much trouble. Yeah, I'm going to print it to a to to sulky stick and stitch. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, Debbie, it's been fun talking to you, and again, appreciate your time and good luck. Yeah, you're only on year three here, so hey, you got you got a you got a lot of growth yeah. potential ahead. Let's yeah. let's get some new stitchers out there. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Debbie. You have a great day. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to Why So With Sulky. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and join us again for more fun stories that are sure to inspire your creativity. You can find more info and links for today's episode at sewingonline.sulky.com.